Hello and welcome to Game Changers. I'm Bloomberg producer Matt Goldman. As the Earth is facing an increasingly consequential climate crisis, inquisitive minds all over the globe are hard at work trying to find solutions. Many of them have been able to translate their eureka moments into action at a greater pace and scope than the sometimes gloomy headlines will have us think. In this four-part miniseries, we'll meet the visionary minds who attempt to sculpt the future of sustainable energy and global resources. We'll get a peek behind the curtains of their factory floors, hear of the sometimes surprising origins of their ideas, and be introduced to a potentially greener tomorrow. Episode one is all about transportation. Oh yeah, okay. They want me to clap. They want me to clap. Hey, Pinto. Good, how are you? So this is, this is our new drivetrain. It's called Duo Power. Our original drivetrain was a single electric motor. Ryan Popple is showing us around the Proterra factory floor in Los Angeles, California. He's a tidy man in his early 40s, confidently determined, always with a number or stat to counter any question we might throw his way. He speaks of the place with fondness and an unbridled enthusiasm, like he's treating us to a glimpse of the global future. The place is huge, meticulously clean, filled with worrying busy robots and dotted with enormous vehicles. For the uninitiated, the scene is at once familiar and futuristic. At Proterra, they build buses. Electric buses, that is. Yeah, so, so Proterra, I would say, is a, is a late-stage technology venture-backed company. We are several hundred employees. Um, we have over 100 enterprise-scale customers, and we have orders across the United States and in a couple Canadian provinces. We often get the question, is Proterra a bus company or is Proterra a technology company? I think Proterra is probably the first bus manufacturing company that is a technology company. But I think in the 21st century, if companies are going to remain relevant, if they're going to survive, they are going to have to become technology companies. Paint or wrap. Uh, what else do I want to look at? Oh, here's LADOT. So this is, this is one of the first bodies that's going to start on the line soon. And this, will, this is a 35-foot bus. It's part of a series of electric buses that are going to be built for the city of Los Angeles and their DOT. Together, buses and freight trucks generate 25% of all global warming emissions that come from the transportation sector. And there are a lot of them. Almost 1 million registered buses roll around the streets of the United States. Here, Ryan sees an opportunity not only to help the environment, but to take a robust share of an almost untapped but potentially huge market. And we've taken a long view and said, we know that the future of this market is 100% electric, and we're not going to waste any of our time trying to be good at diesel buses. The, the industry lifespan or the remaining lifespan of the diesel bus industry is very short. It's probably less than 10 years. So we're able to simply focus on building and perfecting an electric bus and the charging infrastructure associated with it. But his passion and ideas didn't come out of nowhere. To trace his journey to this futuristic factory floor, we have to travel back to a different time and a very different place. I served four years on active duty. I um, had the pleasure of serving as a, as a tank commander, a tank platoon leader, um, Humvee platoon leader, and a couple of other functions as well. 
um, and deployed to the Middle East in early 2003 and participated in Operation Iraqi Freedom. You know, certainly got a lot of experience with vehicle technology and heavy vehicles. Um, it, it was a you know, remarkable experience to be able to serve with other, um, other soldiers and, and um, lead troops and work for some of the best leaders I've ever encountered. At first, his interest in sustainable energy was utilitarian rather than idealistic. But it also was a pretty stark experience in terms of just seeing how volatile some parts of the world are, in particular parts that we're very much dependent on for, um, for fuel production or petroleum supply. So, you know, seeing, um, deploying into Kuwait and then um, operating in Iraq with, a, in, with an infantry division, you definitely get a sense that, um, that, that there are a lot of parts of the world that aren't necessarily the, the best places to underwrite for long-term energy supply. So when I finished up in the Army in 2004 and went to business school, I very much wanted to work on something related to, I guess, what would be referred to as energy security. And as I looked into it, I was not convinced that we were going to produce our way out of the problem. If you, if you really look into the way the oil markets function, regardless of how much oil the U.S. produces, we really don't have control over the price of oil. We are, we are not the cheapest marginal capacity. That's Saudi Arabia. Um, and so if we're going to have some energy security or energy independence, we have to create alternatives to petroleum. Armed with his new ideas and perspective and a business degree to boot, Ryan gravitated to a company that seemed to match his ideas, Tesla. My reason for being at Tesla was not because I was a sports car enthusiast. It was because of the, the environmental sustainability, the, the clean tech aspect of what Tesla did. By moving over to an investing role for four or five years, I really got to look broadly at the entire carbon problem, the sustainability problem. And I was able to find companies and technologies like Proterra that took the technology that I loved and appreciated from Tesla, but deployed it into a category that, um, that probably wouldn't have access to clean car technology for a long time. But eventually, Ryan realized that even though electric cars seemed like a huge step in the right direction, they still came with insurmountable issues. When we look at urban sustainability, the concept of everyone being able to afford an electric car and driving an electric car is a very bad thing from a congestion and lifestyle perspective. You, you cannot solve the congestion problem simply by making cars cleaner. So Ryan envisioned a world with environmental stability, but without the congestion. The answer he realized was right under our noses mass transit. During his time at Tesla, he had been introduced to Proterra, a company that seemed to fit his evolving sustainability philosophy. I joined Proterra in 2014 as the CEO when the company was just starting to ship commercial product. And my role since then has been perfecting the technology and really ensuring that EV can become 100% of the city bus market in North America. By the way, EV means electric vehicle. Becoming 100% of the market seems pretty grandiose, but if you zoom in on the data, it doesn't actually seem like that crazy of an idea. Replacing internal combustion buses with e-buses is well in the works, and electric buses will take over half of the world's bus fleets by 2025. The caveat? Almost none of this work is happening in the United States. As of 2019, China already had a fleet of over 420,000 electric buses and counting, in Europe, we're looking at just over 2,000. In the U.S., about 600. 600. That's less than 1% of America's public transportation fleet. 
so there's certainly a lot of room for growth. But how is Ryan planning to seduce a market that clearly hasn't been able to see the virtues of electric buses? The benefits of going electric aren't always direct. Environmental improvements can be slow and works in tandem with other technical and philosophical changes. And perhaps more important for a potential buyer, the bus's rechargeable battery will last for about 12 years. But that does come with an upfront cost for the manufacturer and hence also the consumer. Back at the factory floor, Ryan showed us how it works. Here's another set of battery, or here's another look at, at the Proterra energy storage system. So again, these are each 110 kilowatt hours. That's over a megawatt hour of energy right there just in those 10 packs. It's designed to be in a transit application for 12 years. It's electrically and mechanically warranted for that amount of time. We are trying to educate the market to think about the fact that the battery represents the energy that the vehicle is gonna use over a 12 year life. And when you buy a diesel bus, you don't pay upfront for 12 years of diesel fuel. That would be hundreds of thousands of dollars of capital expenditure. The answer comes from the business side, not the factory floor. Proterra offers a kind of energy payment plan. So a lot of the smaller cities that don't necessarily have the capital for the switching cost, what we do is we break the battery out of the cost of the vehicle and they pay for the vehicle for the same price as a diesel bus, and then they pay for the battery over time like it was the fuel. And that's enabled a lot of cities that, that might not necessarily have the capital to make the switch to be able to do so now. So we're there technically and financially. The only thing Ryan sees holding us back is politics. As an American, um, I'm well aware that our tradition is that, you know, it's that famous quote that eventually Americans will do the right thing. Um, so I, I think we're approaching that point where we are going to wake up and then we will respond with an enormous amount of energy and creativity. Um, and technologically, we are, we are at the moment where we can start really scaling clean energy. The energy balance of a solar panel, as in the amount of energy you put in to build a solar panel compared to the lifetime amount of energy that it'll, it'll put out, exceeds that of fracking oil. So, we are, we're at a point where the, the science and the economics suggest that this is going to happen. The only thing I worry about is if we hold back or distort the market and unnaturally extend the life of the fossil fuel industry by another decade or two. Once Americans have come to their senses, Ryan has lofty ideas on what the future holds for electric vehicles. So all of the markets that share the same characteristics as the city bus market meaning markets where vehicles are driven a lot of miles per year and they're operating in an urban or a fleet-based region and they're using a lot of energy per mile. We think all of those markets are great applications for EV. And that includes things like school buses, like coach buses, refuse, uh, local delivery, construction, mining vehicles. All of those applications are, are going to move to EV for the same reasons that the city bus market moved to EV. I believe that my, my kids who are um, you know, grade school and high school, when they're adults and when they're actually at a point in their career where they can make a difference, it will be too late to have made a difference. So they, we, will be in a, we will be in, I guess, an adapt, adaptation or mitigation mode if our generation doesn't do more about this. So I think that you know, when I look at my own career trajectory and my peers, we are ideally positioned to do something about this.
This episode was produced by Magnus Henriksen and presented by yours truly, Matt Goldman. For a visual experience of Game Changers and other video content, check out youtube.com slash Bloomberg. Special thanks to Francesca Levy and Jordan Opplinger. See you next time.